some of the biggest things I've learned is that you need to think about your developments in terms of the community. Mm-hmm. You're not just building your development. You are literally changing the direction of a community. Uh, and being mindful of that, I think being a more community-centered developer makes you a better developer for the long run for yourself, for your communities, for the for the quality of communities you do, for the livability of your communities, and for the long-term relationships that will come from that. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about how to better serve our residents and also thinking about how we can make a more mixture of a community within our development. Helping hardworking real estate investors, agents, and entrepreneurs grow a better business, mindset, and future. This is the CarrotCast Podcast. Now here's your host, Trevor Mock. What's up, y'all? Diving into an episode of the CarrotCast on a topic, on a topic that we've never done here. We were shoot, how many episodes are we in it? Yeah, it's Carrot Cast 250 or so. And we've never done one on the topic we're going to talk about today. And I'll introduce you to today's guest here in a little bit. Uh, but before we do, I want, I want to kind of set the stage for this. I want to set the stage for um, why this is important, the topic we're going to be talking about for both real estate investors and real estate agents right now. Uh, but it doesn't matter if you're an investor or, or agent or even not in real estate. Uh, we're going to be talking about some really cool stuff that every human being uh, needs to be baking into their work, whether you own your own business or not. And that comes down to purpose and uh, your why. So um, one thing you guys and guys will see in the market right now is I live in Roseburg, Oregon. It's a small town, 25,000 people. Uh, you cannot get housing here. You, you, you can't, uh, you can hardly find any apartments. You can hardly find things uh, that are two bedroom, three bedroom uh, type of apartments. You're on big waiting lists. And this is small town Oregon in the middle of nowhere. And we start to look all across the country. I hear it from everyone is housing uh, is at a deficit right now. Uh, you look at the housing market right now, uh, house prices are way high. Interest rates are low. Uh, there's just, there's not very much inventory all around on the, on the sales side or the rental side. And so one thing that today's guest uh, has done an amazingly well, uh, better than anyone that I've first been able to talk with is he has built out a, an affordable housing portfolio, uh, well over a thousand units, helping to strengthen communities, helping to have an amazing business model and doing it with passion and purpose baked into it. So I'll introduce, introduce you guys to our guest today, Evan Holiday. What's up? Uh, welcome on the Caracast, man. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you so much for having me. I uh, love what you're doing with Carrot and, and excited to be here today, man. Evan, so I'm going to throw the headline at people first, right? I'm going to throw the headline. So uh, you have 1,347 units as of the time that we got that information. Um, How old are you right now? 30 years old. Cool. 30 years old, 1,347 units, over $200 million uh, portfolio value. And that's that part is very impressive. We're going to dive into how you've done that, how you started. Really, we'll go through, dude, we're going to go through the steps of how to get into <laughs> affordable housing. Um, but then I also want to kind of dive into more in the back half of this call about the why, like what are you doing with the business? And I'm going to, I'm going to kick off this. This is going to be a little cliffhanger for everyone. And then we'll fully dive into to Evan's backstory on his his website, evanholiday.com, just H-O-L-L-A-D-A-Y.com. The headline right at the top of the site says building communities and empowering residents. 
I love that, man. It says in community empowerment. We're going to get into that and what that means and how that helps to drive your purpose. But before we do, uh, let's introduce you. So we already know your name. Uh, where do you live? You know, where do you operate out of? Um, and what is your what does your current business look like right now? You know, what does the portfolio look like? What's your team look like? That kind of thing. Yeah. So like like you mentioned, we've I've done over the last ten years now. Uh, I got into affordable really early on in college, uh, worked with developers and then eventually found my spot with holiday ventures a few years ago. Uh, but over that, that span, I've been able to create over 1300 units, uh, and, and really with a focus on most, all of those units are affordable workforce housing, new construction, quality communities. Uh, and that's, that's what my passion is. That's what our mission is at holiday ventures. And we like, like you hit on, you know, we put it right at the very top of the website. Uh, it's really important for us to, because there are great affordable developers out there. I worked for one. Uh, that's where I learned a lot of what I know. And, and they taught me kind of A to Z, but, but I, I felt like I was like, there needs to be more than just quality housing. What can we do to actually provide services around the housing? What, what can we do to empower the residents? Like, <laughs> Why not help them and see affordable housing as a stepping stone to a better version of themselves and a better, mm-hmm. a better re- version of their future family uh, and, and be a, a guide or, or help on that journey. Uh, and so that's what really uh, pushed me to start Holiday Ventures because mm-hmm. I was like, well, well, we can rethink this. We can be innovative. We can be different. We don't have to follow the mold yep. uh, of how everybody else has done this. And that's what got me most excited about this is saying, Hey, we can help families. We can have a real impact, a real difference. We can make great money for ourselves, for our investors, for our partners, and we can solve massive, massive problems in lots of urban cities across the country. I mean, literally every city, big or small has this problem. Like you mentioned where you're even where you're based in smaller town, Oregon, everybody has this problem because Mm -hmm. it's just simply supply and demand. There's not enough new units coming online to meet the demand for people that are looking for housing. So, you know, simple economics 101, uh, we have this lack of supply. And so there's now currently, I think over 7 million families that are, are lacking good quality housing that are paying, you know, over seven, like 60 to 70% of their paycheck on rent or mortgage. That sounds like mind blowing. Like if you think about your monthly income and putting the vast majority of that to rent, where are you going to pay for anything else? And how are you going to afford a lifestyle that helps with, with good quality food and healthcare and taking care of your kids? It just, it's not possible. Uh, and so that's what motivates me. That's what fires me up. That's what fills up my bucket. Uh, and that also side note, that 7 million number was pre COVID. Mm. So mm. all the pandemic, all the side effects of this and all the people that have been laid off and furloughed and all the side effects of that, I'm sure that number is a lot bigger now. So I'd love to see that study. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what fires me up, man. We're, we're very active in the Southeast. We're based here in Nashville. Uh, we also teach people how to get into affordable development. And then we're also, we just recently started teaching people how to get into land development mm. where you actually can provide value by zoning land or entitling it. Um, so we're, we're just having a blast, man. 
Dude, I, I want to dig into the details of you know, how you got started here here next, but same thing, I want to add a little cliffhanger for everyone listening. Uh, what, what, what Evan had talked about there with the purpose of it, he talked about surrounding your residents with services that can help empower them. Um, I think it's really important what he's talking about here. And I don't want, I don't want it to be lost on everyone to listen to the podcast because all too often we'll look at real estate as a commodity. We look at a, a renter, a tenant, a buyer, a seller as a commodity that we're trying to trade. And as, as long as we do that and we look at our business or our customers or the thing that we're doing as a commodity, uh, it's, it's going to, you're looking at dollars and cents numbers, uh, and you, you remove the emotion out of it. And that's when I find people running businesses or growing businesses that lack the heart that they end up getting burnt out on, that they end up giving up after three, five years because they see the next shiny object because they've conquered that game of learning how to use that commodity. Well, do a bunch of wholesale deals, do a bunch of, you know, um, listings as an agent, but they lack the heart of, do I really love the people that I'm trying to help? And is that my mission? And can this business fuel that mission? So we're going yeah. to talk about the mission more in the back half of this call and how this business model helps fuel his mission. And if it relates to you guys, this might be an amazing business model for you. For you, If this model isn't, find what business model it is that can help you serve the people that you care the most about. Um, so dude, let, let's dive in right now. So you mentioned you're in the Southeast, most of your portfolio is down there over 1300 units. Um, how did you start in it? So you mentioned you had a mentor, you started around the age of 20. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's the most, uh, you know, common way to start in real estate. You say, I'm going to get right into developing uh, uh, yeah. housing communities. So how did you start, man? Yeah, great question. So I, I've kind of naively stumbled into development. I, I was going down the, the, basically the wrong career path in college. I thought I wanted to be a doctor quickly realized it was not for me, but I, I pivoted when I saw, I, when the school I was going to, I saw this massive, massive development announced $55 million, you know, 300 units of student housing and, and retail on the first floor. I was like, I immediately, I was like, I don't know what it is, but I gotta be a part of that. Like that just attracted me. Uh, and so I figured out, you know, I figured out a mutual connection to the developer and, yeah, I think I was 19 at this at the time. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to figure out a way to work with this guy because mm-hmm. I know that I want to find out what I'm good at and what I want to do in this world. Yeah. And by putting myself in the room with him, then I can find out if this is the option for me. Mm-hmm. And I basically had to impress him. I got a couple hundred people out to his groundbreaking. And then I was the first one that he hired to work there. Learned so much. I learned what I like, what I don't like. Uh, I learned that I never want to do property management uh, and I, and I give all the praise to people who do, but, um, I learned, I was like, I want to do what he does. I want to do development. I want to put these deals together. Uh, but I, I wanted to take it a step further and say, I want to do deals like this, but I don't want to do student housing. I don't want to do like where you're charging four grand a month for, you know, a 1200 square foot apartment that doesn't fill me up. I want to build new. I want to change the face of communities, but I want to have impact. I want to know that the communities that we're helping and the, and the residents that we're serving are actually getting something out of it. Like we're actually doing good for them. Mm. Uh, and so that's when, you know, one thing led to another and found out about the whole world of affordable housing and mixed income housing and tax credits and all the incentives to go for affordable housing and how much it's needed by cities. Uh, and then, one thing led to another. We started a modular company in college, uh, where we turned houseboats into modular components of a, of a multifamily development. And, uh, and then we're looking for partners for that. And then we found out, 
uh, I was trying to pitch partners and uh, ended up partnering with one of the development companies who is now the biggest affordable developer in the country. Gotcha. Learned all basically A to Z I learned from them. And so you couldn't have asked for a better, better mentors. I mean, mm. I literally had direct access um, to guys that have done, done it all and they'd lost tens of millions of dollars. Uh, and so they always said, they're like, Hey, our goal is to take everything we have in here, put it in your head. And so instead of making $10 million mistakes, you make $1 million mm. mistakes. Mm. That's good. And uh, that was huge for me because I, I felt like I turned decades into days by being surrounded by guys like that. And, you know, I was working on, you know, when I was 25, I think it was, yeah, 25, we closed the first development I did. It was $29 million, 192 units, uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And it was so amazing to me because leading up to it, it was like a year and a half work of, worth of work. And I didn't see any dirt moved hmm. whatsoever. And then finally, like, it, you know, you hit this climax of finally closing. And once I went out to the construction site, I went down to uh, Baton Rouge. It's a development called Port Royal. And uh, I saw like 50 guys on site, you know, uh, pouring concrete, putting out footers, uh, laying the foundations for all the buildings. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is why we're doing what we're doing. Like, yeah. you know, not seeing anything for a year and a half. And then all of a sudden you see 50 guys, just, it's such a great feeling. Mm. Cause you're like, Hey, we're, we're giving jobs, we're creating housing and we're making money doing it too. And we're leaving a lasting impact and a legacy. Mm. Dude, I, I, I love it, man. So I, I want to dive into that first deal in detail, but I want to kind of backtrack a little bit. There, there were a series of steps that you had had mentioned a little bit ago on, on your journey that I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to have fly you know, past people because oftentimes people look at the number, the 1,347 units and that first deal, you know, 29, uh, $29 million development deal with hundred plus units. We'll look at that and we go, oh my gosh, how could I make that leap? How am I going to ever go do a $29 million deal when I haven't even done a $12 deal or whatever. Right. And so I want people to make these connections here. First of all, you went out there and just worked for someone for free. You said, I want to make yep. a connection first guys and gals. So uh, it wasn't immediate. It, it was years in the making before that $29, $29 million deal happened. He worked for free for someone, impressed them, got to work with them, learned what he liked, what he didn't like in that. And he, he kind of double clicked, he double tapped down on the things he liked. And he said, I'm going to take the things I don't like and cast them aside. Then next he said, okay, now I'm on my own. I can't go do the $50 million deal right now. Like that guy did, but where do I start? Houseboats, man. It's like creativity. Yeah. Dude, how, how did that idea come up in the first place? So did you see it online and like, yeah, I'm just going to do what someone else did or what, how'd you come up yeah, with the houseboat we, idea? So it's kind of funny story, but basically we were supposed to start a business, like a, a fictional on paper business for a business class an entrepreneurship mm. class. And so we found out I was really interested in real estate at the time. I was already working for the developer and I was like, well, I want to do something in real estate. And I found out that uh, another school, another university was already putting together these plans. It was basically part of their design class, their mm -hmm. architecture classes. And so Kentucky has uh, a, a Mecca of houseboat manufacturing plants mm -hmm. and they had laid off 1100 skilled workers at all these plants after 0809 housing crash. And so we're like, well, what, what can we do to put those people back to work, use the same facilities and build modular components. And, you know, it's the same rectangular shape <laughs> as a, 
as a, you know, a, an apartment almost. Yep. And so we're like, well, let's take that. Let's take these architects are already putting together the plans for us as a class. So we got the rights to the plans. We got like the Dean of the architecture school to get us the rights of the plans. And we started using those to put together our business model. Mm. And at first it was for a class. And then we realized we're like, Hey, wait a second. We're, we're starting to win some of these business planning competitions. <laughs> let's actually create something out of this. And so we, we were able to build a few smaller single family developments. And then we were trying to scale that to like 20 units or 40 units, you know, again, totally naive, like you said, like not knowing really anything, but we're like, we had confidence and we had, you know, we believed in ourselves that, Hey, if we put in the right motion, if we, and if we brought in the right partners, we had a board of advisors who were helping us on our journey. I mean, we were 20, 21 years old at this Mm -hmm. time and just trying to learn, you know, like by a fire hose, how all of this is done. And, you know, looking back, I I realized we knew very little of anything, but we tried and that put me in the right spot. Like you said, that put me in the right rooms to then get a job and work with a group that was the best and the best in the country. Mm. Dude. So it's, it's so important because there's a common thread that you've got where you found smart people who could guide you and who had been there before, right? There was an initial mentor. Then you had a board of advisors that you kind of surrounded around you with that project. Uh, and then you went and found more mentors, but taking it to the next level. So I, I want everyone to, to listen to that. Um, cause that's something I think a lot of us get caught up on is that we've got to do the thing ourselves. You know, we've got yep. to do the, well, shoot, I don't have the money to go pay a mastermind. Well, he didn't pay anyone for that. He paid them with time at the start. And then he paid with just executing. Then he, then he actually, then he actually got paid to learn from the next job. So uh, everyone listening to this, don't be afraid to work for somebody else or to do yep. free work for a period of time to learn uh, versus jumping right into wholesaling, flipping, being an agent, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and it's going to accelerate the process. Um, and to stack on that real quick, yeah. Trevor, uh, I think the apprenticeship model, it's kind of what we're describing. Like it's so mm-hmm. underrated. Like mm-hmm. Like you said, everybody wants to go out and make the quick dollar and get started and build their business. But, um, I, you know, it was tough in the moment for me to, to work for somebody else because I knew I was entrepreneurial. I knew I wanted to start my own company at some point. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I knew that the best way for me to get there was by working for somebody else instead of having to start from ground zero, Mm. teach myself like, Hey, how do I do a 20 unit? How do I do a 40 unit? How do I do an 80 unit? Instead of working my way up, I was like, well, let me work for the guys that already know how to do 192 unit deals. Gotcha. And that way I can just, you know, leapfrog to that size deal. And then when I come out of working there for a few years, then I have that experience, mm-hmm. the relationships, the know-how to be able to just jump right to the big deals. Dude, and, and some people would look at that as lost time, right? In their minds, they're going, well, I don't want to waste three years working for someone else. But in actuality, like you had just said, if you were doing it on your own, those three years, you would have to start from the bottom up. Hey, I'm going to learn how to do yep. 10 units, 50 units, whatever. Those three years, you accelerated the process and you came out knowing how to do 190 units. So let's dive, in, dive into that now. Cause a lot of people are probably going, okay, cool. How did you actually do the first deal? So you know, where yeah. did the 29, the 29 million come from? Did you find it in a hole? Did you have a rich uncle? So let, <laughs> let's kind of, let's kind of dive into that. So let's break apart the deal a little bit. And, um, what was the outcome of that one? So you mentioned how many units, um, uh, are, are you the full owner of that one? Do you have partners on that? Um, and let's actually, let's kind of define what affordable housing is to you too. Cause that's something that people might be asking, well, what is it? Is there an actual definition of affordable housing um, that people should look for? 
Yeah, uh, I would definitely say affordable housing has many different definitions to many different people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it usually to a lot of people has a negative connotation, um, which is part of our job as affordable developers is to help educate Mm -hmm. and help, you know, spread the word of uh, spread the gospel of what is good quality, affordable housing. And so the, the technical definition of what we do, which is we use tax credits to finance what we do. And so mm-hmm. that's typically 60% of area median income. Uh, those are the, the, the residents, the clients that we're serving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those are t- typically your teachers, your firefighters, your, your service level jobs, your retail jobs, your account, your, um, your administration, uh, basically people making like in Nashville, it depends city to city, obviously, but Nashville, it's anybody, anywhere from 35 to 65,000 per year. Mm, okay. uh, and so you have families that are working class families that make the backbone of, of the local economy. And those are the people we serve. Um, and so to, to answer your question about how we put the deal together or, or how we financed it. Uh, and so that was with the partners of that company. Uh, so I, I had a percentage, they had a percentage, uh, and then basically the, the way these deals are structured, it's really, really interesting. It's like mm-hmm. everything, you know, about, uh, in real estate investing, you kind of like turn it upside down and that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we basically put in an application to the state housing agency, uh, and said, Hey, we think this is a good site. We put together a plan. Uh, you know, we put together a team. And then we submit an application and we ended up scoring the highest on that application. So we were able to get not only tax credits, uh, we also got uh, tax exempt bonds, which we use for our debt. Uh, so credits are your equity, bonds are your debt. And then we got also a grant or a, you know, a cash flow loan called uh, home funds. <laughs> so those are federal funds that go to the state. Uh, and then this in turn, basically tax credits are 40% of your financing capital stack. Uh, your debt is typically 50% and your, our home funds was the other 10%. Mm. Uh, and so of the $29 million, that's what our capital stack was. Mm. And so we get the credits and then we, we can actually turn around. We don't actually use the credits ourselves. We turn around and sell those credits to Uh, investors. mm. And that's typically larger institutional investors or banks. Banks are required to buy these credits as part of the CRA Community Reinvestment Act of 1986. They're required to buy these credits. Hmm. And so because of that, we have built-in demand. Uh, and so we, once we're awarded the credits, then we go kind of out to the open market and find syndicators or banks that want to buy them. We find a partner, we bring them into the partnership uh, and then they stay into the deal for 10 to 15 years mm-hmm. as the credits are delivered. And then we get that loan, which covers the other 50%. Uh, but then in the process, we as the GP, uh, we have to cover the pre-development expenses. But once the deal closes, our pre-development expenses are paid back to us. And at that point, we have no cash in the deal. And, uh, and we mm-hmm. basically collect the developer fee and the cash flow. Now, here's the interesting thing is, our tax credit equity investors, the ones that put up 40% of the money, they don't want any cash flow. <laughs> so <laughs> there's no, you know, cash flow ROI or cash on cash for them. Their return is through the credits themselves. Gotcha. And so they'll pay, you know, 88 cents on the dollar. So every dollar of tax credit they get, they pay us 88 cents or whatever the number is, whatever the market is at that time mm-hmm. for 
and cash to go pay for the project. So they're getting a 12% uh, so, immediate in that case, then uh, for, for everyone that's kind of working that math in your mind and someone who's got a, either a bank or someone who has a lot of profits they need to offset, they'll go and, and buy those tax credits right. from a guy like Evan, who's got them. Um, and they earn that 12% margin between, Hey, I would normally have to pay this to the federal government. Now, instead, I only have to pay X percent to the federal government. Yeah. Um, dude, that's, that's powerful, man. That's really powerful. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, um, and they also, they take the, all the write-offs and depreciation and the losses. Uh, hmm. so that's why, you know, it's, it's weird because you're used to splitting cash flow, used to splitting everything. But in the in this case, we get all the fee, we get all the cash flow. They get all the losses and depreciation mm. and credits. Gotcha. So, so what, what does the partnership look like in that in that case? So, what what was your role uh, in that first deal? Then we'll kind of go to the the future ones now. But I'm sure people are probably, probably kind of picturing in their mind they're going, okay. So, did he find the property? Did he design the thing? Kind of what was your role in that first one? Uh, so you could be a part of that part of that deal. Yeah. So it really, you know, the the best way to to earn equity on a deal like this is to be able to put in the sweat equity on really A to Z of a deal. So mm -hmm. I found the site, I coordinated with the property management company, made sure we could get the rents we needed for that site. I put in the, the grant application. It was the first, technically the first application I ever did. <laughs> uh, somehow was lucky enough to get awarded. Yeah. And uh, so put together that whole application uh, assembled the design team, the architect, the engineer, uh, and made sure that we built adequately. We built at costs that we could afford to pay for, uh, coordinated with the GC, found our debt and equity partners, brought them on, negotiated with them. Obviously being my first deal, I had some guidance from the partners, uh, but this was something that, you know, they fully expected me to take this from beginning to end. Yep. Uh, and that's where the sweat equity comes from is being the point person being fully responsible and, you know, imagining that you have a little sign on your desk that says the buck stops here. You know, this is, <laughs> this is where responsibility takes over and you have to say, Hey, this is ultimately on me. Mm. And that's how you earn sweat equity. Yep. So what, if you don't mind sharing this, so what percentage should someone um, kind of expect or negotiate for if they're, if they're running that role in the deal, uh, do they get a part of the cash flow? Do they get equity in the property and what percentage is kind of normal? Yeah. So what I got on that deal, that was 10% mm -hmm. of fee and cash flow, Cool, which is amazing. So, That's crazy. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So if you imagine, you know, $29 million deal, um, it is pretty amazing, especially when those things, when, when you get multiple deals and they start all cash flowing. Mm, I like it. So you, you moved on, you moved on to the next deal and you've done several since then. Uh, has anything changed in the model now that you've got more experience for you in those deals other than what you kind of broke down right there? Or is it pretty much, man, I'm just taking this exact same thing, rinsing and repeating it. Uh, I would definitely say there's been massive learning mm -hmm. over the last eight plus years. Uh, I think some of the biggest things I've learned is that, uh, you need to think about your developments in terms of the community. Mm -hmm. You're not just building your development. You are literally changing the direction of a community, uh, and being mindful of that. I think being a more community centered developer makes you a better developer for the long run for yourself 
for your communities, for the, for the quality of communities you do, for the livability of your communities and for the long-term relationships that will come from that. Yep. Uh, and so I think that's what's changed the most for me as far as my perspective is we're looking at things a whole lot differently. We're saying, mm -hmm. how can we tie into the resident empowerment piece into even the way we design our developments. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking about how can we be more green? How can we incorporate solar panels into our developments? How can we create um, passive housing where we're, where we're being uh, more uh, intentional about making more like, you know, less, less expense on, on our landscaping, for mm, example, yep. uh, or maintaining landscaping, you know, different things like that, where we can take money out, out of like maybe watering grass and putting it into services that we could have on site, mm. um, thinking about how to better serve our residents and also thinking about how we can make a more mixture of a community within our development. Mm -hmm. So meaning like not just building 192 units, let's say, Hey, let's build 192 units plus a community center, plus space for nonprofits, plus mm -hmm. space for, uh, you know, retail or commercial. Uh, we're doing a lot more live work units. Uh, we're doing two projects right now with live work units. Mm -hmm. So that's where our residents can literally live and run their business in the same unit and have people, you know, come right up as if it's a storefront, but it's their living room. Uh, and so it's ability for kind of house hack their unit, yeah. uh, if you will. And so it, it breeds that at entrepreneurship. And again, goes back to like, how can we help these families get out of affordable housing yeah. and be successful and, and live their best life? I think one of the, one of the crazy goals that we have is like, we want families to eventually buy their own homes and eventually even a step further, we want them to be investing back into affordable housing mm. and becoming impact investors. Mm. Dude, I, I, I love the model so much, right? Cause, cause some people might be thinking, well, how, how is affordable housing different than just building apartments? And you articulated that really, really well there that it's not just stacking up a bunch of units where people live, but it's yeah. creating like, like the word is, it's creating a community. It's and a community. Isn't just a bunch of people and a bunch of boxes where people live, right? It's people live, people work, people um, yeah. have a chance to, to enjoy the community, not, not just sleep there and live there. And dude, I, I love that. So let's, let's kind of go into some of the mission stuff. Um, uh, I, I know we, we talked about some of the, the wins you've had there, uh, some of the, some of the struggles early, early on too, but um, people do kind of think mission in general is a touchy feely thing, especially when you're just now trying to get into business. Cause oftentimes the reason we get into business is some sort of financial reason. You want to get away from a job you don't like or whatever it is. And then eventually as you hit those financial goals, people then make the shift and go, Oh man, that didn't unlock the the purpose and happiness in my life yeah. that I thought, it, I thought it would. Now I need to move to purpose with my business. So dude, for, for you, um, it sounds like you did this from the very beginning where you baked in mission into the business from the very beginning. How has that evolved over, over the years, uh, Evan, how, how has that evolved where your mission is baked into your business even more? And how, how are you um, doing that with your team? How are they buying into that mission too? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it goes back to actually what we talked about on monumental with mm -hmm. you about your non-negotiables, which I loved. Uh, and, in coming from a place of saying, okay, this is what I want out of my business. Uh, and so when I first started holiday ventures, like I, I took traction with me, we, we went to Costa Rica and I just spent like two weeks, just like brain dumping everything I wanted out of a business and everything I didn't want and getting crystal clear on like, you know, writing out what are, what are our core values? What, what do I really care about? What do we really care about? 
Uh, and then being able to, to combine that with the, the crazy passion that I have, that the unexplainable passion that I have, uh, for, you know, creating communities of impact and attainable housing. And I think being able to, you know, we, we portray that in our job postings, mm-hmm. like from the, from the day people even start looking at working with holiday ventures to, you know, our social media posts, like everything that we do, we come from a place of, Hey, how can we remind people and, and educate people about the power of impact and the power mm-hmm. of affordable housing and what we're doing and the mission of what we're doing. So we talk about it all the time. I talk about, you know, our B hags our, our big, hairy, audacious goals for the company. And, um, I think when you talk about it enough and you share that energy and that passion and you share that vivid vision, mm. uh, I think people get excited and it, it's contagious. Uh, and I think they're ultimately going to fall back on you as the leader and say, Hey, is he passionate about it? Yep. Are they passionate about it? Uh, and so that's where it starts for us. And then it just reverberates through, I mean, all, all the way through our interviews, we're, we're asking them say, Hey, you know, what, what, why did you apply to this position? I, mm. I think we did like five interviews today, actually looking for new real estate people. And, you know, I want to see hunger and passion for making a difference in the world in the people that we hire. And so if they don't show that in the interview, then that's the first thing I look at. And if they don't have it, they're out. Um, so that's ultimately, I think how we're building our cultures starting from a place of passion, you know, and everything else, the details we can teach, mm-hmm. uh, but the passion we can't do. Do you, this just popped up in my mind. Do you have a connection to the, um, the end client, the, the, the low income housing client in some way, I, I, other than, other than experiencing it through developing at, at the early, early phases, like where is your connection to that market and, and why does it hit you in your heartstrings? I think so. Honestly, when I first got started, I think it came from a place of honestly, my parents, especially my mom, mm-hmm. uh, was very good about, uh, reminding me and teaching me that you, you must treat others how you want to be treated. And, and also honestly, just come from a place of love. Mm-hmm. And I think her teaching me that, uh, and, and she passed away from cancer at a young age for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, being at her funeral, like seeing the amount of people that showed up, that just cared about my mom and said, my, you know, my mom, she was there for me for this. She was there for me for this. And like, she didn't even care about anything else. She just cared about me as a person. Yep. And I think if we all came from that, like heart centered place of saying, Hey, these are just people that maybe need a little help or, you know, we're, we're all just trying to get by in life. We're all just trying to, you know, live our own life. And I think if you figure out, Hey, these are people that, that could use a little help and, and I can give a little help. Uh, then that's where I started. And honestly, as far as the resident piece goes, I, I honestly didn't have that at the beginning. Yep. Um, but that was something that I would actively, you know, it was actually my first grand opening, mm. uh, is when it really like turned for me, um, where we had a resident, um, we, we had the mayor of Nashville. We, we had a resident speak. And the resident said he's, he's 25 years old. And he said, this is the first time I've ever had a place to myself. <laughs> it's like, I've worked in a nonprofit, 
uh, helping, um, helping kids out of foster care find housing. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I just always came from a place where I wanted to give them my housing. So I always had people living with me and, and he's like, when I turned the key into this place, into my apartment here, he's like, I literally started bawling because it meant that much to him just to have a nice, clean, quality place to come home to. Uh, and so that, that like brought energy to me, even oh, more energy. Time, I was man. like, this is why we're doing what we're doing. And yeah. there's thousands of people just like this guy who are giving people, but aren't even setting enough you know, aside for themselves, dude. So I, I want to, I want to talk about this a little bit because, uh, purpose, passion comes up a lot. Right. And, and it's something we're all seeking. Um, but it's not, there's not like this clear path to say, do these six things and you'll find it, you know, and yeah. oftentimes it finds you in, in, in the, in the circumstances that you're not even looking for it. And so in that moment, and this is what I found over and over again is, is oftentimes you're, you're, purposeful passion or purpose or passion in your work will find you. You won't find it. And, and number two is it's usually when there's something emotional that happens in something, it, it could be for me, it was, I went through as an entrepreneur, some crap that I don't want other entrepreneurs to go through, right? Like building a business that I thought was gonna be this dream. And it ended up being sucking the life out of me and almost killing my family and all these things. I'm like, if other entrepreneurs have this dream of freedom and flexibility and growing their finances in it and actually build something that does the opposite, how can I save them from doing that? So they save their families and they can save their communities. So I had that emotional attachment to it. And same thing now, whenever I see our customers saying those same stories back where we're helping them do that, I, I get choked up. I'm not a crier, yeah. man. Like <laughs> I, I don't cry and it's not because I don't want to. It just takes a lot for me to, uh, to have that trigger, you know, a death of someone in the family or someone that I love or customers saying how we change their life and literally like it's this immediate reaction. Yeah. And, um, the same thing with you where you had this product and then you saw how it was touching someone and that connected with you in some way. You're like, damn, there's something here. There's something here. And you went deeper on it. So I want to challenge everyone who's listening to this, that if you're thinking about what is your purpose, what's the passion, what is the purpose of your business? Don't think about that right now. Just go out and do business, but be yeah. open for uh, looking for that impact. Be open for and recognize when you see that emotional effect on you because of something your business did for somebody else, look at that and go, man, there might be something here. Should I go deeper on that? That's a big deal, man. I, I love what you guys yeah. have done. Love it. So let, let, let me talk about a couple like little um, uh, mechanical things in the transaction. So uh, you had mentioned entitlements, you'd mentioned rezonings, things like that. We don't have enough time to go for, through a whole workshop of that, but <laughs> what are some of the, the things that you have done to be able to get through some of those hurdles on transactions like entitlements or rezonings? Are, are there some tricks people can, can look at or places they should go? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so probably the, the first place I'd go to is finding a, a mentor who's done it before, just mm. like anything else in life, you know, like we talked about earlier, like how did I even get into all this? I found mentors. Um, so if anybody is interested, it's, we, we do mentoring coaching cool. program, yep. uh, land development experts.com. Uh, but to take that a step further, I would say figuring out first off being first educating mentor and then figuring out specifically what is your target market? Mm. Like where, what kind of product are you looking to place 
in a, in a site or a development, even if you're not trying to do it, who's your, who's your audience that you're trying to sell it to. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I think this is like the, one of the best versions of like a wholesale that anybody could ever do where you could literally take a piece of land. So to give you an example, uh, we're about to close on a deal in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, it's 22 acres, uh, and all in, uh, we're basically purchasing the land for about 1.6 million. Hmm. We spent about a hundred thousand dollars to rezone it, uh, to get it annexed into the city of Huntsville to, um, allow for 400 plus units of multifamily. And we specifically picked the site because we knew we're like, Hey, this is the highest income part of Huntsville. Uh, we know there's tremendous value here. We back up to 10 plus miles of trails. Hmm. Uh, there's just massive value. And so I looked at it first as an affordable site. I was like, this would be phenomenal. This would be beautiful. Uh, we could tie in, make it a trail oriented development. And I got really excited. And then the city said like, eh, like no affordable here. Like you don't need our help. Uh, you know, filling that local, that last 10%, I needed their help. And they're like, no, we're not going to give you. Hmm. So I said, well, I don't want to develop it because that's my sweet spot, but I couldn't pass up a great site. And so my partner and I, we looked at, we're like, Hey, why don't we entitle it and zone it and get it ready to go for a luxury market rate multifamily developer. Mm. And so that was our core audience. So we did all the work. We did the phase one, the geotech, the survey, all of this front end information about the site. We did market research. We did comps, you know, we did everything. And then we put it into a nice 45 page, you know, really pretty marketing package. Mm. And we started cold calling. We were Mm. dialing for dollars, you know, just like wholesalers are finding their buyers, uh, except for we were, you know, calling guys that could do a $60 million deals. Mm. And so we found out who the top developers were in Huntsville. We found out who the top developers were throughout the Southeast uh, and had a history of doing this type of product. And we just started calling them and we ended up getting three offers. And so now we're basically going to sell it for double what we have into it uh, for about a year's worth of work. And we never actually had to buy the land. Hmm. So if anybody's interested in doing that, it's a phenomenal way to kind of like upscale into a whole nother level of, of wholesaling without actually having to to take on risk of buying the land. You can put the land under contract and then before you actually have to buy it, sell it to somebody else. Uh, and so the return on investment of time and money is tremendously valuable as long as you can find that unique piece of land. And back to your question of like, where do you, you know, what's, where's the value? Who do you go to, to, to find this kind of stuff? I think taking, uh, like, like we were talking about, like finding your core audience and then figuring out, okay, who or what at the local level, like the planning commission, the planning staff or the city council members say, Hey, do you think this is possible to get this up zone? Hmm. Or do you think there's potential here? Like, would you guys possibly approve something like that? Hmm. That is a phone call that takes 10 minutes. Yep. Uh, and that can typically give you at least, at least some direction or a good idea of if they will approve it. Um, so that's probably where I would start. Dude. So I, I I love it, man. So with that deal, you, you guys didn't own it. You wholesale it. How, how, how do you go through that process of rezoning and doing all that stuff if you don't own the property? So was the property owner a a partner in that overall exit with you guys then? No, we just, we put in our original purchase agreement. We, we do this for everything we buy. We basically say anything we need to do to entitle this for our end use, 
the buyer will agree to help us. Like they'll sign any yeah. documents they need to sign. Mm. Uh, so we just put that right in our purchase agreement. Gotcha. That's smart. That's way smart. So yeah. guys, if you're listening to this, it's like Evan said, it's the same process as wholesaling properties, just bigger numbers yeah. and some things that less people are, or, or researching and knowing how to do. So, uh, dude, I, I love it, man. You guys are making a huge, huge impact too, which is great. <laughs> so let me finish with this. Um, you have, you have a, an amazing business that's growing You're 10 years in, you've got 1300 plus units that you guys have been able to put into the world and, and create communities where people can live in them. Uh, dude, what's, what's your end game? What's your end game with, with, uh, with all this? Really the end game for us is I just want to look back and say, Hey, we actually made a real difference in the world of the affordable housing crisis. Mm -hmm. So with the 7 million families that need housing right now, probably a lot more, I just want to say, Hey, we actually made a difference. We helped educate people. We helped empower people, not only our residents, we helped them live a better life by providing the housing, but we help teach people how to go out and do affordable housing. Mm. I mean, I know I can't do all 7 million units on my own, so I want to help other people do it too. Uh, I want, I want to, at the end of the day, say, Hey, we had a real impact and a real dent in affordable housing and, and quality housing. Yeah, man, I, I I love it, dude. I could talk for another hour and go deeper on both the mission part and the, the mechanics of doing these deals. But uh, you already share a lot of information on that. I follow you on Instagram and it's just cool seeing you post about your projects. I saw one just the other day that you posted a, a, a blueprint of it, I guess you could call it, or, you know, it was a really cool picture of something you guys have cooking. So uh, where can, where can people follow you and where can people find out more uh, about you? And you've got the podcast to let people know uh, everywhere they can connect with you. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Instagram, that's a great way to connect with me. I'm very active there mm-hmm. at Evan holiday, H O L L E D A Y. Uh, and then of course our, our website, our main website, evanholiday.com will take you to our podcast monumental where Trevor was a phenomenal guest. It was fun. Man. Uh, it was fun. Uh, yeah, that was. And, uh, and then holiday ventures are our investment company as well. Amazing. Well, Evan, I appreciate you coming on and uh, I'd love to have you back too. And and we can kind of dive deeper into one of these topics, but y'all, what I want you guys to do is go follow Evan. I go to evanholiday.com. And once again, that's Evan, uh, E-V-A-N-H-O-L-L-A-D-A-Y.com. And go find him on Instagram too. Cause if you guys are curious, you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this, um, affordable housing thing, just go follow him for a few months. You'll be able to see him post on what they're doing. Uh, you know, some of the, the properties they're looking at things like that. And, uh, uh, and like you said, they have a great mentorship program. Adrian on my team had a chance to meet you in Florida and uh, you guys are doing amazing things, dude. So thanks for coming on. Uh, keep inspiring people, keep helping uh, to, to make better this housing shortage that's happening everywhere. And I think it's going to keep getting worse. And so the yeah. opportunity is actually going to increase. It's not going to go down and uh, perfect, perfect business model. Y'all like subscribe, whatever you're looking at this, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on, on Apple podcasts, and let us know if you enjoyed this episode, a uh, me up uh, a message over on Instagram, DM me if you enjoyed this episode, what you got out of it, and also post a comment uh, on Apple Podcast rating review, letting us know if you love this episode and the value you got out. So Evan, have an amazing rest of the week, dude. Keep inspiring. I keep going out there and building communities, empowering residents, <laughs> and I will talk soon. Thank you. Yes. Thank you.